from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Well, hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down, that's right, the top 10 things of the week that make us go wow. I'm Fenton Belli, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by Tom Campbell, our Chief Creative Officer. Hello, hello, hello. It's been a while, Tom, you and I. Reunited, Fenton, it feels so good. It does. And uh, James St. James, uh, editor of The Wire Report, who I have seen twice in person literally within a 48 hour span so i was laughing because we we had such a good time last week on the show and then i got two invitations from you and i was like i should be in a better mood more often i'll get invited (laughs) to things from fenton so i'm I'm gonna try my hardest to be in a good mood today (laughs) let's see what i can rustle up all right how long can james (laughs) how long will this last i take that as a challenge james i take that as a challenge so far so good we're at number 10 tom number 10 i am four episodes into an eight episode series on netflix called survival of the thickest does that ring a bell for anyone i don't know anything about this what channel is it on what's it about netflix half hour comedy so that's an easy in and it stars oh i do know this yes one of the funniest comedians in the world what are the definitely the funniest comedian and underexposed comedian and that is michelle buteau who is this hilarious we had her on um when we did gay for play that game show with rue on logo she was on it the question was something about true or false uh does janet jackson like coffee enemas and she said um the best part of waking up is folders in your butt and from that on, <laughs> that's spontaneous. She was not, you know, and I loved her. She's hilarious. Wasn't she has. She, didn't she um, and Wendy Ho used to work a lot together? They were like a comedy duo way back in the day. Very possibly. She also does like the commentary for one of the Netflix dating shows, which I don't watch those, so I can't help you there. But um, she, wait, is co- she, was, she was just on The View last week. And okay. she was absolutely hysterical. And she, she's just bubbly and funny. And just everything about her is a yes from me. She's beautiful, soft, and hilarious and cutting and loud. She's everything. She's every woman. Shaka Khan wrote every woman about <laughs> Michelle Bateau. Okay. Now, she has co-written her own show based on her book, Survival of the Thickest. And she plays a um, kind of a, a, a junior stylist. And then he realized, you know, there's a big photo shoot and she comes to the rescue and you just fall in love with her. And then the photographer starts to hit on her and it turns out that it's her boyfriend. And there she goes home and she gets home early and she catches her boyfriend, the hot photographer, in bed with a model. By the way, Michelle Buteau and her character are these are plus size. So that's the thickest part of Survival of the and, and all of the cast and, and characters on the show um, are, there's a lot of representation. There's a lot of different trans 100%. There's a lot of different um, thick girls and big boys. And yes. I will tell you how wide and how inclusive the show is. Even Michelle Visage has a part on the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's this whole thing. It's basically, so the, 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 will she go back to her boyfriend or not is kind of there. She's dealing with that, you know. Her best friend is straight, Tone Bell. He's a total ladies' man. He won't grow up. He's a comedian. 
who's who's growing and growing. I just feel like this is like a, a definitional show to break out Michelle Bateau and Joan Bell. And then an oh, actress who's been around forever who's amazing, Tasha Smith, but not a household name. But um, what was the Empire show? What was um, what was the Cookie? She was Cookie's sister on mm-hmm. Empire. And she was on, I think when we did the Empire parody on RuPaul's Drag Race, when we did RuPaul's Vampire or whatever, she was the guest judge. And she was hilarious. And she plays this like black businesswoman who has it all together. And the three of them become unlikely friends. They get stoned and they jog. There's hilarious things. But Garcelle Bouvet has a recurring role. Peppermint has a recurring role because she she uh, lives near a, a drag bar in Brooklyn and, and does a lot of their costumes because she's a stylist. Michelle Visage plays Garcelle Bouvet's um, rival supermodel from back in the day, and, and they have a doggy wedding. Um, and Nicole Byer is an episode coming up. I, it's not perfect. As so many of the streamer things are, you feel like they, and I was reading some reviews and things, they're like, it almost should have been 22 episodes, you know, because it, you, something needs to get its rhythm, right? And got to get the relationships right. It, it's still worth watching. It's a joy. Again, Michelle Bateau, Michelle Bateau. I'm going to have four more to watch. I broke it up so I can enjoy it. It sounds amazing. And I still still kind of marvel at how things happen in the streaming world that you may never hear about. They're like, yeah. the, so thank you so much for, because like, I literally have not turned on my Netflix since they did that password crackdown because I'm frightened that they won't let me on. <laughs> yes. No, I watched, I watched, have you seen the Wham uh, documentary? No. Oh, oh my God. Benson, I think I, we both told you to watch it because it will have you in tears. It is so feel good, wonderful. You walk away loving Andrew Ridgely like you've never imagined in your life you would love him. And that's what brought me back to Netflix, which got me seeing Survival of the Thickest. I felt bad. We did the, the Wham thing when you were away. You need to watch it and we need to talk you about it next week. All right. Watch it. I you will. I will because I have stories because. Simon Napier-Bell managed Wham, got them into China, and, of course, he managed the Bob Tarts as well. So well, I have stories. This isn't about Where there's a self-interested bit, I'm on it, right? <laughs> I guess right. any well, way to get you interested, but you will, you literally, <laughs> it will be your favorite documentary of the year. Survival of the Thickest on Netflix at number 10. James is still talking to me as we move on to number nine. Number nine. (laughs) Number nine. Um, I watched Deliverance on Turner Classic Movies. And I am not talking about the hillbilly banjo playing, butt fucking Burt Reynolds Deliverance from 1972. I'm talking about a 1919 silent documentary slash biopic about Helen Keller and um, Annie Sullivan, okay? Now, what's interesting, it's, it's complete, you know, they, they didn't really have documentaries or biopics in 1919. They're making it up as they go along, okay? The first half is actors playing the young Helen Keller, um, deaf, dumb, blind, mute, um, as uh, her teacher, Annie Sullivan, teaches her, you know, language and reading and writing and, and the all real, that. The real Annie Sullivan or an actress? Well, no, no, that, that's what I'm saying. The first half is actors. And then the second half, you have the actual Helen Keller and Annie Sullivan wow. in 1919 who are in the bloom of their youth. Helen Keller is a 30-something woman who is 
at the peak of her powers, Annie Sullivan is probably 50, I'm thinking, and they're talking in interviews. She's speaking to women's groups. She's um, uh, speaking directly to the camera. She's um, she's just, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to see this woman that we know of through history, but here she is, a celebrity in the prime of her celebrity. And there's a, a wonderful scene where there's a boy who has just gotten back, who was a soldier in World War I. He's lost his sight. And he's having a lot of troubles reintegrating into society. Just as beautiful, beautiful boy as all those World War I boys were. And they take him to meet Helen Keller. And Helen takes him by the hand and starts, you know, speaking as she spoke, you know, it, it, with the fingers in the hand. And the way his, you see him just like collapse and just to be in the presence of this great woman. And it is so fascinating. Like I said, it's just it gives me goosebumps to see not through the lens of history, but through the lens of something that was happening right at that moment. You know, um, it's absolutely fascinating. Deliverance 1919 on Turner classic movies. How do they, it's a silent movie. So you said you, you see them speaking to camera. Like, is it just like title cards? Is that what they do? Well, title cards. And you see her like signing to Annie and then Annie will speak and it will get a title card. And the things she says are so profound. And she was such a, 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 a wise, wise woman, an oracle, I guess, for, for, um, you know, the world and, the fact that she overcame all of this and still could be so self-aware. Um, some people will write off Helen Keller. I mean, most people know her through Helen Keller jokes. You know, when you're growing up, that's that's what you know her from. But she um, she was a very smart, smart woman. And um, I, I don't want to sort of get into the eugenics thing because she did later in life promote eugenics, which is odd. But I sort of am not going to fault Helen Keller who in the dark of her soul might have thought why was I born and why would I want anyone else to go through the suffering that I went through and maybe that's what she was thinking but um it's just fascinating well James uh I know or I found that thanks to the Library of Congress you can watch this in full on YouTube so I'm gonna be Posting it on the Wow Report. Mm, good. Okay. Well, we should put it on Wow Presents Plus. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> if it's free. <laughs> All right. Let's go on to number eight. Number eight. James and I, uh, we took the kids, went with Nolan and Elliot to see the Keith Haring exhibition at the Broad. Someone had said it was a small exhibition, but I thought it was quite substantial. And I thought it was great. It was small, in, but the, a lot of the, the paintings and things were huge. I mean, they had some of the really big, big pieces that I had never seen up close before. And, and that was fascinating to me. I, you know, I've seen a lot of the smaller pieces, but. Right, because, of course, he began um, graffitiing on the sort of blank posters on the subway, which they just put black uh, posters up waiting for, a, you know, a paid ad. And so Keith Haring would go around on the subway drawing in white chalk these figures, sort of in the early 80s, late the end of the 70s, right? Yeah. Um, very much a contemporary of baskets and um, not an acolyte thing. of Warhol, but in the same thing. And, and I definitely remember when I went to film school in the early 80s, seeing these posters on, on the subway. I, I don't think I ever saw him doing them. 
And but James, I think you knew him, right? And like would yeah, well, I mean, I did know him um in passing. I he was very real. He was a very real, real person and very down to earth and, and could talk to anybody. And I was sort of a screeching twink at the what? time. And our vibrational planes never really got past, hello, James, hello, Keith, how are you? Like, <laughs> we never had real conversations, which is my fault. And I look back on that and regret it. But um, I definitely, you know, he would be at clubs and he was always doodling on people's clothes with his, you know, silver marker. And so many people have so many, you know, memories, remembrances of him from that. Well, I do have one, actually. I just arrived in New York, and I guess it was his first show, maybe 82, 83, at the Tony Schifrazzi Gallery in Soho. Uh-huh. And I was literally walking by, and I had seen some of these posters on the subway, and I looked in the gallery, and I saw all this work of his. And I said, like, oh, my God. So I had my – it was a Monday, I think. So I had my, like, face pressed up against the glass. And inside, there was a little group of media people talking to someone, and – Suddenly, this person broke away from this group, walked over to a stack of posters, signed it, came to the door of the gallery, opened it, and gave me a poster. And it was Keith Haring. Where is it? Do you still have it? I have been looking for it ever since you and I went to the show. I'm like, it's like, I cannot believe it. And that was the only time, I mean... And from that point on, in my he was always just in my mind, just a superstar, super famous artist. So like this guy who came to the door, I was like, you know, what's he doing? Why? You know, other than course. It's, it's funny the, the, the sh- to get back to the show for a second, because yes. so often he is so ubiquitous in art culture, art history, just in pop culture, those images you at every Uniqlow, yeah. every, you know, H&M, everywhere you go, you see the, the T-shirts and everything that you forget. I was confronted again by the magnitude and the magnificence of, of what it was that he accomplished and what he did in his short life, you know? But I love how popular he is today and how his images are so strong. I, I'm very, I, I know I um, decorate, like I'm in a college dorm, but I got some stencils of 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 uh, Keith Haring's, and I put them on the inside of my like cupboard doors because I'm always never I'm always forgetting to close things. So at least I have art on the inside in case I leave it open. <laughs> I have one question um, because my nephew and my brother are coming out here, my nine year old nephew. Uh, how'd the kids like it? Is it worth bringing? Uh... Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, Nolan said to me at one point, he said, "Oh, I didn't know he did so much sexual art." Oh. And and it is sexual a lot. It very sexual and very homosexual, but not in a. Um, in, there's nothing remotely offensive unless it's, unless it's you're cartoon. primed to it, be offended, you know. Unless right. you're looking for a fight, and they do have a docent standing at the room, just saying, just to let you know, some of these images are explicit. But it's very true, I suppose. In popular consciousness, he's been. Not slightly de-gayed or de-explicitized because you know just right. the disnification of our lives. Yeah. But I would take them absolutely. It's yeah, like Tom. I, I think it's one of those things where the color and the cartoon images are so strong that a child is just going to be focusing on that. And it's sort of like those Etruscan, you know, pornographic urns where you really have to look to find the sex. <laughs> That's you, know, you really have to know right. what you're looking for. I'll Needless to say, James managed to find a 15-foot pink phallus that he made me take pictures of him in front of. 
<laughs> we should post those on the wow report. Um, and he did paint some urns. I love the the, the stuff he did of uh, the Keith Haring. Yeah, urn. so it looked like um, an ancient urn. Yeah, and it was also I because his great big piece, one of his biggest pieces, was that wall on Houston Street which he painted in day-glow colors. It was literally almost the width of a city block. And it was painted in ultra neon green and orange and red. And and the great, the first room you walk into at the Broad is dazzlingly neon. And it's such a sort of, it takes you back to the 80s, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fascinating stuff. Mm. Wonderful. And, you know, um, if you if you, you want to make a day of it, right across the street is the Basquiat exhibit as well. So that's also fascinating. Yes, definitely do that. I would do them as a, like a, a twofer. I love yeah. them. Thank you. Coming to Wow Presents Plus on August 7th, two new shows inside the producer's studio with Candy Muse. And Jimbo presents It's My Special Show. And they are both masterpieces. And you can sign up to watch them at wowpresentsplus.com. Blake, do you have a question? I sure do. You know how Rihanna has, like, the Rihanna Navy and Beyonce has the hive and blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm going to be substituting the word blank for the name that they call their fans in my question this week so as to not give it away too easily. Which artist has gotten backlash for slamming their fans? They recently tweeted or X'd or whatever you call it now. Quote, my fans don't name themselves shit. If you call yourself a blank or fucking blanks, that means you need to get off your phone and get a job and help your parents with the house. Oh, I did see this and now I'm drawing a blank. (laughs) We will fill in the blanks right after the break here on The Wire Report. Listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. Yes, and I asked, which artist has gotten backlash for slamming their fans? They recently tweeted, My fans don't name themselves shit. If you call yourself a blank or fucking blanks, that means you need to get off the phone and get a job and help your parents with the house. Who oh, said that? Oh, 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 I know, I know. Pick Tom, me, pick Tom. me, pick me. Oh, me? Uh-huh. Um, I believe, and this seems right that I should be answering this, I believe the artist is Doja Cat, and I believe her fans that she hates call her ki- our kitties. Or kittens. Yeah, kitten. Mm. Kitten and kittens. She's been going through it recently. Why, Cat, what's wrong with being a kitty or a kitten? Uh, well, exactly, and she was the one that helped, like, come up with the name, and then she later said, yeah, something... She said something like, yeah, when I was an idiot teenager or something. But she's recently shaved her head and, like, switched the direction of her music and said that her last two albums, which were massive pop hits, were just cash grabs that everyone fell for. So she's not doing herself any... Mm. Well, maybe from this moment on, we can have a new group of Doja Cat fans and we'll call ourselves the Pussies. <laughs> well, but that is sort of interesting, also, that she was having such a renaissance when she was like when she had the beaded face at the you know, and she was doing all the fashion shows and everything, and everyone was suddenly like huge Doja Cat fans that probably weren't before. So, like, why is she she was having such a, a moment there? I think she's also dating this guy who is problematic and has been canceled. oh, who's an idol who's like the idol, he's he's a Svengali, yeah. so. Mm. Maybe that has something to do with it. Well, 
Okay. Well, I hope it gets better. Let's move on with our <laughs> countdown. <laughs> Top 10 things. She, she hopes she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Top 10 Moving things. Let's go. Well, number seven. Number seven. Well, we have one of the stars of this documentary sitting right here with us. Um, talking about Last Call. Um, when a serial killer stalked queer New York. It's a documentary on Max, and um, it it's follows, all about it. It follows um, a, a serial killer in the early '80s that was stalking the gay community that didn't get a lot of press at the time, even though the gay community was trying very hard to get attention for it. Um, and he was called the Last Call Killer, and he would kill. He would he would find his victims at Last Call in the gay bars. Yeah, and, um, and when I was last season on American Horror Story um, was loosely based on it. One of the one of the threads, one of the plot lines was based on this. Yes, Tom? And our James St. James is featured in it? Well, I was one of the victims. I, I, <laughs> no. I was the last call killer. It comes to mind. No, but interestingly enough, I was lying in bed and a friend of mine texted me and said, girl, you're in episode three of the last call killer and sent me a screen grab of me dancing in the streets and it's nelson sullivan's footage they use to sort of show what was going on in the 80s in the gay scene and so there i am twirling in the streets singing uh whitney houston song but it was very it's interesting how like still little the police knew or cared about the gay community sign of the times isn't that a big thrust of the of the series that it's about it the victims and the homophobia and it, it makes is. a really compassionate compelling portrait you know who the director is it's anthony corona who directed the suzanne Bosch documentary on top ah. that's so interesting because after i posted the picture and got like five thousand likes whatever anthony contacted me and dm'd me and said that he um, had seen the footage years ago. He was a big fan of Nelson's and that he's been looking to use that Nelson footage in something for a long time. And he was, you know, very sweet and very wonderful. Um, he also directed the FX series about um, Pride. And I think James, you're in that cavorting down the street. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I have found a friend. I was telling Blake that, that one way to get me to watch something lately is to just put me in it because <laughs> I would, turned on KCET. I had DVR'd something uh, called Artbound, a series about, uh, you know, I, it's art and whatever in Los Angeles. And it was a documentary on Mustache Mondays. And I turned it on, and the first thing you see is me. From Daily Freak Show saying, if it's a Monday, you gotta watch Gossip Girl and then go to Mustache Mondays. And I was like, well, wait, that's what am I doing here? I have no idea. Nobody told me about this. So lately, every time I turn on the television, there I am. And so that's how you get me to. to and that documentary is also in full on YouTube. You can watch yes, it. Yes, uh, Art Bound on uh, Mustache Mondays. Is James dancing to the Whitney Houston song that's footage, right? Is it gifable? Are we, is, should we have it on our phones or something? I don't know. Like, how can well, we. I'll make some gifts and by God, we'll, we'll put it out there. But I'm wearing one of my little Sprouse outfits that's, um, and it's, I just look adorable. I have cheekbones <laughs> and hair and a chin, and I'm skinny and cute. It's just, um, it's a great thing. All right. Um, num, 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 number six. Number six. 
and here's where my good mood falls apart <laughs> and i just start attacking fenton i'm sorry i held out for as long as i could I, it doesn't feel like the show without it i'm excited <laughs> because i you know i obviously i saw barbie o- over the week you know i saw it on monday obviously it's the best movie of the year obviously it's something that every single person on the planet needs to see and yet fenton you i i don't expect tom to see it because tom has had a knee-jerk reaction about it since day one he will not go see it but fenton it is something that you will absolutely love it has so much meta commentary about you know the the patriarchy and you know uh feminism and 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 he'll just love the sets the sets are incredible. The outfits are incredible. Margot Robbie is absolutely spectacular. Um, I loved every single bit of it. The Will Ferrell stuff, I could have done without Fenton. I mean, Blake, do you agree with me? I just agree. thought it was Keystone yeah. Cop. Um, yeah. I kind of blinked out a little bit with mm-hmm. him. But Ryan Gosling is amazing as ken i mean literally the 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 plot is they go to the real world right they they leave barbie land and they go to the real world and as they're walking down venice beach in their like neon outfits and everything everyone is high-fiving ken and everybody is sort of looking at barbie like what are you doing and they said in real life that's how it was that people were reacting to ryan gosling and sort of ignoring margot robbie and what happens is ken sort of realizes that in the real world men rule and women are are not ah. whereas in barbie land the women rule and he's just ken and no he doesn't get any attention or love in barbie land but once he gets to the real world and he has all these scenes where he's just being this asshole he's just this man and he keeps leaning into it more and more into the patriarchy and at the very end he sings this song i'm just ken and I've sent it to you guys, and I know you didn't watch it, but it is one of it. you did. It's it's a, an amazing song, and there's a moment where there's all these Kens in in Barbie Land, and they're all you know just basically sort of subjugated to secondary roles next to Barbie, and they don't really have jobs or anything. But he's singing just I'm just Ken, and suddenly they're all wearing black, all black, which you don't see in Barbie Land, and then you get this chills when all of a sudden you see them break away from Barbie and they form a V formation and they all start singing, I'm just Ken, anywhere else I'd be a 10. And the song keeps getting more and more powerful and there's the battle of the Kens and all that it sort of culminates in this. And I predict, not only do I think that Ryan Gosling is going to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor, um, but I also want this song to be nominated for an Oscar and for Ryan Gosling to come and sing it because he's got pipes on him. He's absolutely spectacular. Um, my favorite joke, there's a there's a joke that went over the head of everybody. I'm sorry I'm going on a bit too long. But at one point, they call uh, the women in um, a real world are talking, saying how horrible Barbie is and how she perpetuates all these myths and how the impossible beauty standards and stuff. And they're saying it to her face and she starts crying. Margot starts crying. And they say, Barbies are just fascist. You're a fascist, Barbie. And Barbie says... I'm not a fascist. I don't control the railway or modern or the flow of commerce, which is a 1940s reference to Mussolini, where I can't remember who it was who said, you know, I don't agree with Mussolini's politics, but 
he um I, he has trains. trains running on time and he controls the flow of commerce. So it's this joke about Mussolini. It just goes over the head of everybody, but it's absolutely- well, you know the girls she's talking to. Another little tidbit: they're supposed to represent the brats. Uh, right, the rival toys. There's a, yeah. mean, a, a clique of mean girls that are really nasty to Barbie, and yeah. so they don't want it. They've never played with Barbie, and they don't want anything to do with her. And you can't sit with us, type thing. <laughs> Blake, you saw it, and did you love it? I loved it. I'll like definitely watch it again. It was a little long at two hours, I think, like because I'm like a more of an hour and a half. Like, but I would, I loved it, and I loved the last line. The last line is absolutely hysterical. We can't really give it away. But Rhea Perlman, who plays um, the creator of Barbies, she's um, uh, in heaven and she bring, comes down and talks Ruth. to her about yeah. it. It's just, it, you cry. I, I can't wait like to see it. it. I, know I've, I know I'm being shamed, but um, can't wait to see it. And um, I believe it was the fourth biggest box office opening weekend in yes, ever. Um, it's, Ever, um, yes, I, exactly. I'm not saying it's the biggest female directed box office, which it is, but I think, uh, regardless, the fourth biggest box office opening. It, it's headed towards a billion dollars, and it um just beat the the Dark Knight, uh the the which is mm-hmm. like number three, and one of the Star Wars is number two. I haven't seen it yet, you know. I may see it, as you know. But the best thing I read since its premiere is Greta Gerwig saying she has no plans right now. She has no ideas how to do a sequel. And wouldn't yeah. it be great if it just existed by itself and didn't have to be called my whole Barbie I universe? did see that Lena Dunham just signed <laughs> on to play po- or to do a Polly Pocket movie, which just sort of seems like... You know there's going to be a Barbie verse. You know it's going to just get yeah. ruined. Maybe not. Maybe not. But listen, okay, I want to talk about number five because, James... Number five. You shamed me correctly for not seeing it. But I did do something Barbie-related. I was about to write an email to Tom a few days ago saying, shouldn't we be making a documentary about Barbie, the real story of Barbie? And then I remembered that actually is a documentary. Yes. It's called Tiny Shoulders, uh, oh. Rethinking Barbie. And it came out in 2018. It was uh, directed by Andrea Nevins, who is uh, for insider industry types, David Nevins' wife. David Nevins used to run Showtime and CBS and what have you. And... It's really interesting because in 2016, which is only like seven years ago, Barbie was in crisis. Sales were off something like 50%. And the doll that was born in like 1959 was, even though it had 98% recognition and one was sold every two, people just weren't into it anymore. And so the documentary is all about Project Dawn. And Project Dawn was a bunch of very well-meaning, earnest executives trying to think how to reinvent Barbie to make her relevant. And the solution they came up with was to issue a whole variety of Barbie dolls in different shapes and sizes, diverse Barbie, plumper, curvier Barbie. Um, And there's this hilarious scene of them agonizing about, you know, we just don't want to be called Fat Barbie. And it's it's sort of sweet in the sense of like... Did it, did it bring no, I don't think no. it did work. It was earnest. And I think that therein is the sort of lesson and why the documentary is especially interesting retroactively. Because who would have thunk 
who could have imagined that the way to revive Barbie is to lean into Barbie, not to try and sort of modernize but, but there it. There is not to not to say that so many of the Barbies in Barbie um, are not uh, of different representations. And there is a, there's a sugar daddy Ken. There's a, Alan is gay or maybe sort of queer coded. Right. Hari Neff is one of the Barbies, and they never even m- mention the fact that Hari is trans. And it's that sort of a beautiful thing that they just at one point they just say, oh, you're so beautiful to Hari. And they never say, you know, you're beautiful because you're trans or whatever. So mm-hmm. they do lean into it a little bit. But you're right that there is um, the, it is interesting that that it fell so hard in the sort of wo- at the birth of wokeism, I guess. Is so when... It kind of is the birth of wokeism. And yeah. in this documentary, you have Gloria Steinem and I think Susan Faludi sort of condemning Barbie and saying what a sort of dated stereotype she is and and there was an interesting piece in the new york times because uh, the reporter took susan faludi to it and you could tell susan faludi was completely flawed about how to have a theory about this and how to reconcile it because the, the the takeaway for me is the importance of being honest is it's not important at all it's like the de-honestification and the sort of ironic the way that lego movies have been sort of ironic and funny and silly, but also ultimately caring and fundamentally compassionate, that's the way to go. Yeah, and it's yeah. almost like all is forgiven that this, this sort of, and I think that that alone is a remarkable transformation because Barbie was was down and out not so long ago. Well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the Lego movie because I went into Barbie thinking it was going to be like the Brady Bunch movie where it was just going to be sort of silly, silly, silly. And then you're sort of hit with feels at, at, at certain points, sort of like the Lego. It's more like the Lego movie than it is the, the, um, the Brady Bunch movie. Hmm. Tom, you and I have to go and see it. We have to get on our pink cosplay. and Well, when I tell you that every single person in the theater is wearing pink, every single person at the Grove walking around the Grove is in pink. It's just, it's a it's a pink, it's a pink world we live in. It really is. We're going to take a quick break. RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under Season 3 premieres July 28th, that's next Friday, on WoW Presents Plus Worldwide. Uh, check out the brand new trailer with the guest judges on the WOW Report and sign up for WOW Presents Plus at wowpresentsplus.com, of course. July 28th is today. <gasps> you're completely right. That's just so I want you to know. You're, you're among, the heat does a lot of weird things to people, Fenton. I just want you to know, today it, is July 28th. In the Barbieverse, time has become plastic. <laughs> That's my excuse. Oh, speaking of... Oh, my Uh-oh. gosh. Oh, visual. Visual about to come for our radio visual fans. thing for those of you watching. I want to reveal here Albert Crudo's Barbie Poo <laughs> that, he, that he made in the early 90s as, oh, a, yeah. as a collectible. It's a little discolored, but yeah. Actual You've been poo. holding on to Barbie Poo for three decades? <laughs> yes. How did you get rid of it? Well, as he says, it's not crap. It's art. This is 2002. This is 21 years old. I would have tried to eat it by now in the middle of the night. I'd have been, ah. All right. We'll be right back after the break. Blake, do you have a question? I do. What starlet was recently seen working at a Waffle House in Alabama? 
We'll have the answer right after the break here on The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James, Tom Campbell, and of course, Blake Jacobs. Hi, guys. Um, What pop starlet was recently seen working at a Waffle House in Alabama? Helen Keller. Oh, 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 pick me. Oh, oh, oh. She did more R&B. Tom. Oh, me? Mm -hmm. Um, um, I'm so glad you saw me. Um, I believe, first of all, I just want to say, what's with the Waffle Houses? The the Jonas Brothers have a song. People, the Waffle House is very hip. I feel like someone's grandfather. Someone explained the Waffle House thing. But the woman serving there was Lana Del Rey. She was. And I don't know why, but it very much fits her aesthetic. And to answer your question, you obviously aren't from the South because the Waffle House is amazing. James, have you ever been? Yes, of course. And, you know, the thing about the Waffle Houses is you can tell how bad the world is because Waffle Houses never close, ever. They will, through hurricanes, through tornadoes, through earthquakes, through feast, famine, whatever. And if the Waffle House is closed, you know shit is about, shit is going down. And that's that about that. What is the backstory, though, why she was working there? What, nobody knows. She is just a kook. She is just she. She'll do anything, anywhere for for attention. She's she's wild. All right, we are counting down the top ten things of the week that made us go wow, and we've reached number four. Number four. We often reserve this spot for a rest in peace, a rest in perfection. Mm-hmm. I have three people I want to mention. There's not enough time to do them justice, but I want to start by you know recognizing the passing of Tony Bennett at 96 mm-hmm. after a long after an incredible. Eight decade career, seven decade career. Um, you know, it's hard not to find some part of Tony Bennett's career or, or a song or two or 10 or 20 that you can't fall in love with. And of course, we talked about this on the show earlier that 20, um, that 60 minute piece where Lady Gaga, where you see his Alzheimer's and how he comes alive with the music and how Lady Gaga was so kind to him, mm. just uh, made me fall in love with him in a whole new way. Second, and this one is someone I, I was had the pleasure of working with, Bill Getty who was the original Viewmaster and co-creator of The View with Barbara Walters, who I had the privilege of working with in 97, uh, passed away at 68, very suddenly, heart problem. And uh, I hate to say it, but 68, so young, that's how old I am. And uh, Bill and Barbara did something, I think, you know, it's television, that's not curing cancer, but they created something really special in The View, and it's still alive mm-hmm. today. And the idea of giving women a voice and bringing them together, and, 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 and it was really something. And then... Um, shocked to find out this week that Sinead O'Connor had passed away at the age of 56, which I was shocked that she was that much younger than me. But, um, you know, her son died tragically about a year ago, and it seems that she never recovered. And Sinead O'Connor, of course, that image, if you're of a certain age in MTV, nothing compares to you in that face. Mm-hmm. And that song was just mesmerizing. And so much of, you know, at the time, Sinead was such a radical and so outside you know she boycotted things she didn't do saturday night live because the androidized clay was on she ripped the picture of the pope out of out of a uh, protest against and, all the and never, her, her career never really recovered after that and she was right by god and she was you know right. she was calling out the church for for pedophilia and molesting you know it, it, this was 30 some years ago and it's a shame that she was vilified for that it's just it and I think that that was the cause, uh, start of, of many of her problems. Yes. And, yeah. 
Um, but she... I also had forgotten how popular she was before um, Nothing Compares to You when she had Mendinko, she had um, the song with MC Light. Um, uh, she had a bunch of hits that I had just completely forgotten about and how she was a very much um, underground still, but, but if you knew her, you loved her and you always loved her. There's a great quote from her 2021 memoir that I was, was in the New York Times. And she said, I feel that having a number one record derailed my career and my tearing the photo of the Pope put me back on the right track. So she seemed, she seemed, you know, she seemed very determined to fight for her causes and her beliefs. So Tony Bennett, Bill Getty, Sinead O'Connor rest in perfection. Thank you. That's That's so sad. Um, Number three, James. Number three. Uh, Kevin Spacey, there was a verdict that came out in his sexual abuse case that cleared him of all charges of sexual assault, nine counts in all. He um, uh, covered a period between 2004 and 2013. There was an eye-raising moment where afterwards two of the jury members went up to Kevin Spacey's manager, they shook hands and mouthed, well done, sir. Wow. He, he said to the jurors, well done, meaning was there some sort of hinky? Was there some sort of weird? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of that. But anyway, um, Kevin has said that he um, is humbled by the outcome and feels vindicated. And I think that he thinks that his career is just going to pick up where it left off and that he's going to ride triumphantly on, a, you know, a horse on a white horse into Hollywood and everyone's going to be throwing job offers at him. I don't think that is, that will happen. I don't think that he has a chance in hell of recovering his career. I want to tell a story though, that I've told on this show about five years ago. I'm going to tell it again where my Kevin, my big Kevin Spacey moment, where I was standing next to him on a dance floor at Sundance. And he and I were watching this hot shirtless guy sort of get down and, and dance. And I turned to him and I said, wow, he's really hot, isn't he? And Kevin Spacey went, what? What? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I, why would I think that he's hot? I don't know if a guy is hot. I don't know if a man is hot. Why are you doing this? Why are you saying this? And he ran off like horrified that I insinuated that he might be gay, that he might be looking at a boy. And I just rolled my eyes and I was like, girl, it's not that big of a deal. As he was like horrified that I had the nerve to say he might, he was looking at a boy. But we were both sitting there just ogling. This, I mean, I fucking this boy on the dance floor. It was just the most ridiculous moment. He is a ridiculous person, and I just find him beneath contempt. <laughs> Not to change the subject, but I do love your Sundance stories because wasn't wasn't didn't you bounce up to Rosie O'Donnell at Sundance once? <laughs> Because I ran up to Rosie and I was like, "Hi, Rosie. I'm James. Hey, James. Party mon. I did party monster." Da-da. And she said, "You're the murderer. What are you doing? Can't stay away from me." And she like called her handlers and she was like, "Please, please, please." And then I was like, "No, Rosie." And I'm pawing at her and I'm like, "No, that I didn't kill anyone." 
And then later she had she said, "Oh, please come and sit next to me." And we ended up sitting next to each other. We had a delightful time. But her reaction to me was very. Uh, <laughs> and then you tried to kill her. No. And then I and then I pretended to stab her, and she got really upset. Oi, 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 oi! Tears pouring down my face. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, I got to change the mood. Number two. Number two. James and I went to see Oppenheimer. Did you learn something you didn't know? I learned a lot, actually. Yes, I did. First of all, it's distracting to go to see Oppenheimer at this time because everybody is at the theater in pink going to see Barbie. So, <laughs> and, but I hadn't realized that, uh, that uh, J.R. Uh, Robert Oppenheimer, right? father of the atom bomb went through that hell with that political hell of being sort of virtually sort of put on trial and losing what well, he wasn't put on trial but he lost his security clearance and his activities were questioned he was sort of he was, he was, was vilified sort of in a thing right he was he was vilified in a way Thank that um and and the way you see the mechanization and the weaponization of of the government out to get him is very in keeping in line with what we, what we see now. And we see, you know, just the different, the way these committees can just make or break somebody. I was really interested. First of all, in the fact that when you finally see the atom bomb go off, it is not at Hiroshima or Nagasaki. It is when they're testing it and you never see the atom bomb go off you know, in Japan, which mm. many people are saying, like, that. what was that choice? Why did they do that? But the choice was, is that Oppenheimer, to Oppenheimer, that wasn't the tragedy of the atom bomb. The In his mind, first of all, he and Einstein were worried that it would start a chain reaction that would, you know, that would destroy the whole world. And then secondly, he was more concerned with how he was prometheus who had stolen fire from the gods and he says that over and over again and he's more concerned about his legacy and what and the fact that he brought what is ultimately an earth destroying ultimate weapon to to the world and that the whole idea that it stopped the war was sort of i mean that's what it was there for what it did but that wasn't the big issue in his head the fact the fact that you know tens of thousands of people died Right. But also, let, let, I, I just want to qualify that because I don't think it, it was that he was callous or indifferent to that suffering. I think that choice in the film was it's Oppenheimer. And so from his perspective, he built the bomb in Los Alamos and then the military took it. And there's a fabulous scene where actually they don't hear anything. They don't know oh, yeah. what happened until it's on the radio. They yeah. are sort so, of so his story ends just there. His, right. his his connection to the bomb has ended, and right. he's made that sort of that that wall a yeah. little bit. His thing, Christopher Nolan is brilliant, and everybody falls down and says how amazing he is, and he is. I mean, the the bomb detonation sequence is incredible, and it was not done with CGI. Right. Well, it's just it's incredible. But then there's not a lot of humor or joy in any of his films ever. Well, I remember Dunkirk. I saw Dunkirk and it was historically amazing and just, I don't know what I was, you know, I didn't hate it, but boy, it's a long, little joy, little joyless. 
But there is this fabulous scene where they're sitting with the president talking about what to do with the bomb. And the president's got a list of targets. And he says, well, I've got here a list of 12 targets, Uh, mm, mm, 11. And he says, I took Kyoto off. My wife and I went there on our honeymoon, beautiful city. And it's just so, (laughs) it's, it's the most hilarious line. It's so grotesque and chilling and just... An exercise of power. I don't know. To me, it was like and accurate, right? And the way decisions are made in some yes. the way decisions awful, are awful made. Way. Yes, exactly. And the Harry S. Truman role is is chilling and and everything. But I do want to say that Robert Downey Jr. I oh. think is probably the best role of his career. He he hams it up and he is chewing scenery left and right. But there's no doubt in my mind that he will be nominated at the very least. And we'll probably walk away with the with the. And how could we not mention Killian Murphy, who is unbelievably brilliant, uh, and just about Robert Downey? I didn't recognize him for the first two hours. I was like, "Who is that guy? I feel like I know him." I just, I, just like, evil, just oozing evil out of every. Very role. good evil. Yeah, I have. I have. I, Blake sitting us for time, but James is Robert Downey Jr. a supporting role? It is a supporting role. So yes. he'll be up against Ryan Gosling as Ken. He'll be he'll be up against Ryan Gosling. What are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. Let's take a break. Um, just have to say, Drag Race Philippines season two, August second. It is a summer of Drag Race uh, on More Presents Plus worldwide. And don't forget, if you're feeling generous and inspired, it's still important to remember that drag is facing threats right across the country. And so if so moved, donate to the Drag Defense Fund to support the ACLU in fighting all this wayward, reprehensible legislation that the uh, that is being fomented against our community and creativity. All right, that's aclu.org slash drag defense. We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, the number one thing this week that made us go, wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. And, and we've been counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. And we've reached number one. Number one. Number one. You know, we, there were a number of options we had to talk about uh, different things. But suddenly there was a weird, weird, weird moment uh, on the news that happened in real time where Mitch McConnell just glitched. He just, he was talking. He started slowing down. He started slurring his words. And then for 35, 40 seconds, he just looked blank into the into the middle distance. And the speculation was, and, and weirdly, nobody around him is, is worried or is doing anything. And they're all just sort of, their smiles are frozen on their faces as they're trying to compute what's happening. Is he having a stroke? Is he having some sort of, uh, 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 some sort of is it a dramatic up? pause? You know, they're just trying to figure it out. But and then someone was saying uh, it looks it's the same look that my dog gives when he's giving a shit. He just runs ah! out, and that and you see everyone else, and it, you sort of see them look up their nose, like they're sort of smelling shit. Like maybe he was, maybe he was just taking a long crap right there. Who knows what was really happening? But strangely, they say when he starts to go, come back to life again, like a robot coming back. Uh, they say, do you want do you want to continue or do you want to go away? And he sort of he doesn't really know. And they lead him away. And then 10 minutes later, they bring him back. 
instead of taking him to the hospital, which is what any decent person would have done. But it just speaks to the corruption and the just the how they this 81 year old man is clinging to power like Diane Feinstein. Like it's the same thing on the other side where these people need to go and take care of yes. themselves and just re- let, let their last couple years be with their grandchildren and not cling to power the way they are. And you don't think he's an AI robot or there's several AI robots in the office they just roll out? Well, it like I said, it did look like a, a glitch in the space-time continuum or the simulation had, had glitched or something. There was just something very weird. Did you all watch it? Did you see it? I did I, see it. And it's and I was watching it with Randy, and you can't help but your heart to go out to him as a human being. Yeah. I hate to, you know, and you I wish him very well, and I hope he is well. But I agree with you 100 percent because it's both Republican and Democrat. It's like when you get to a certain age, you are wise, you have things to offer, but please don't take on. You know, you may have pat you you're you're maybe past the time in your 80s and 90s. You can be jobs. an elder statesman, certainly, Absolutely. and you can give advice to people, but I don't think you should be in a position of power. And I do it's it is the same thing is that I that you said where I this man's politic is politics is abhorrent to me. I don't like him personally, but I certainly I my heart went out to him and I just kept thinking, somebody take care of this man and somebody, you know, do something. I, I, but I also I mean, think people just didn't know what to do. I think it's very unusual when someone just goes completely, well, maybe not if I freeze. And, you but just like, did it earlier this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when real shit, I make the thing, but doing uh, reality pro- producers, when you surprise someone on camera, I used to do knock-knock shows. When you really surprise people, they're just like, and then you're like, okay, let's do it again. And this time go, oh my God. <laughs> when weird things happen, you're like processing. You're like, what's going on? Right. What, what? Anyway, for the people my, around. My dad, actually, who's no longer with us, but he had um uh, one of these, like, a, a TIAs, I think. It's like a mini yeah, stroke, like where you just like... Deep male seizure or whatever, yeah. Right, and you, you come back. It's like a sort of like oxygen is sort of inter- the flow of oxygen sort of interrupted and you just sort of can't. But they've, I've also seen that a TIA or whatever, TAI, um, could be a precursor to a bigger. Uh, right, like a pre like a pre shot. Yes, yeah, could be. Yeah. Well, we've covered so much ground. And, and, James, so little. You gotta, <laughs> and you're still sort of being nice to me. So. <laughs> that only means that as soon as we go off the air, both of us right to, right to leave uh, let's just keep talking um <laughs> thanks for tuning into the wow report thank you for listening thank you james thank you tom thank you blake you. um same time same place next week until then go out and do something that makes the world go wow, wow.